Welcome to another episode of the To Comply or Not To Comply podcast. I am your host, AJ Yan, founder and CEO of ByteCheck, a cybersecurity compliance automation company, the only all-in-one solution in the industry. Super excited about today's episode um, with, with Andrew Alani, someone that I've known for a little bit here virtually. We've had some good exchanges and messages. And we finally had a chance to get together on a pod. Andrew's the director of technology and risk at Freddie Mac. Andrew, thanks for coming on the pod. Yeah, thanks for having me, AJ. Awesome. Yeah. For, so, so Andrew, obviously, you know, we know each other and I know about your background, but for the folks out there that are meeting you for the first time, give us a quick overview of um, who you are, you know, your career and, and what you're up to now. Sure. So I'm a technologist at my core. I've been messing with technology since I was probably seven or eight years old. I have done everything from got a computer science degree, managed servers, installed servers to uh, manage teams of engineers. In my previous role to where I am now, I led a uh, cloud security engineering, cloud governance, security architecture, and a couple of product teams for a global bank. I basically took this job to kind of transform risk in a way that lets us think about how we can apply risk to modern technology and cloud, because there's a lot of differences in the way cloud is implemented versus the way a lot of traditional systems are. We've got both. So we've got to think about both of them at the same time, but we've got to think about them in different ways. And so that's a big deal for me. Probably one of the biggest things I learned over the last year in kind of transitioning to this job is my biggest passion in technology is actually not the technology. It's people and programs. It's, it's building teams and building programs that have an awesome culture and are, are well-oiled. That's really what I love doing. I find that that's a, a fun thing that I've seen with a lot of cyber professionals is as we grow, as we continue to evolve in this uh in this industry, we start to care less about the technology. <laughs> we, it starts to become less important and it becomes more about the humans behind the technology, the humans we interact with on a day-to-day basis. What's that journey been like for you of like, you know, you, you're a technologist at your core, you have a CS degree. So obviously you started with hands on your keyboard, but now you're transitioned to this phase where you're really focused on humans and the human aspect behind it. How has that journey been for you as a leader? I think it's because as I, as I, made my way through my career, I realized that, you know, there's people that are really good at the technology. There's people that are really good with interacting with people. There's people that are really good with process, architecture, you know, all the different aspects of a business, right? And one of the things that I've seen missing in companies, but I've also seen done really well, and is people and leaders knowing where, not only where to place those people, because a lot of times it's, you know, you know, you have all the concepts of being promoted to failure, of putting people in places that they're not excelling, like all of those concepts. But you also have just the culture that's created by people, leaders and managers that often transcends the culture of a company. Right. You can have an awesome company culture, but those small teams, what that that culture's created like. And that's not just from the top down, but also like within the team absolutely impacts the customer service and the quality of work from those teams, maybe bar none. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I read something recently. They were like, your manager will impact your life way more than your parents um, at the end of your life, like the people that you work for. And, it, and, it, and you kind of think about how much time we spend at work over the course of our lives. And, you know, a lot of us have had bad managers in our life and you, you that impacts you like you. It impacts every aspect of your day to day. It impacts how you feel. It's just like not a good environment. And I think if more leaders 
kind of took that responsibility on and realized how impactful they are on people, what happens is naturally where you're at now, where you, you really care, you're, you're leading with empathy and, and starting there. I want to talk a little bit about um, something that I've been, you know, kind of champion for a while and, and you being in the you know position that you're in and then, you know, you're just your career. You obviously have seen compliance and the importance of compliance across companies all over the world. I personally think that GRC is a great entry point for people to break into cybersecurity. And I, and I love GRC naturally. I think it's a, it's a cool field. Um, and I think that because I think there's a lot of transferable skills that make you very useful in the GRC and compliance space. I and mean, if you're coming from somewhere else, if you're a, a person that's really helpful with collaborating or you're a good written communicator, there's a lot of things that you can do that are important in GRC. I'd love to get your take on it because there's a lot of people out there that disagree with me uh, that don't feel like GRC is a good entry point or really any aspect of cybersecurity is a good entry point. But what do you think about you know GRC? Where is that a place where people should start their career or is that not necessarily a place where you think people can get going? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and I think at its core, there's no right answer I, or there's no like one right answer is what, I'm, what I mean. But I think that that two things that, that I, I have to consider is one, what is GRC? I think depending on the industry you work in and the organization that you're in, that has a different answer, right? A lot of times the way I, I look at it is there's this big C compliance and there's little C compliance, especially in financial services. And little C compliance is really what we, I think most of us in the security industry refer to as GRC, um, among some other things, right? And the other thing that that not all industries understand is in the financial world, there's a three lines of defense concept where you have first line is the technologist and those risk functions. Second line is oversight of that. And third line is audit. Not all industries work that way as well. Um, I think the second aspect that you need to clear that we need to clarify is that entry into cybersecurity doesn't necessarily mean entry into a career. Um, I think there are two aspects to that, and I think both are worth talking about. But one of the challenges that I found is someone who's entering their career into GRC is going to lack a lot of context and people skills that are required to have the tough conversations, to challenge technologists and executives both that's required in that, that, that role. However, as an entry into the security space, I do think that it's a good stepping stone, depending on on your experience, because you don't have to be a technologist. You don't have to be from any specific background, because one of the things that really sets the teams that I build apart is that we don't just know the technology as the implementers and the technologists. We also know the business. And so that means that there's a place for someone from the business who has no technology or little technology background to have a role in GRC, which then is a bastion into, into security. And so I, you know, I, think, I think those are two important pieces that security in general is a tough place to start a career because I think there's a lot of context that is extremely valuable to be effective there, but there are, it is absolutely a good place to be an entry level into security. Yeah, no, I love that that viewpoint. I actually have have never thought about it like that. And I do think that aspect of compliance is overlooked that you're going to have to go and tell an engineer that they're doing something wrong and that they need to fix it. And that's a tough conversation to have if you have zero clue of what exactly they're doing wrong. <laughs> you don't know <laughs> what they're talking about or like why it matters and all this other stuff. So like I definitely see the piece that you talked about of it being a good entry point into cyber is is where really where my head's at is because the technical 
barrier to entry is a lot lower. Uh, you don't have to go out and learn how to program. You don't have to go out and be X expert. However, I say that with a grain of salt that one of the things that bothered me the most before starting Byte Check when I was doing manual audits is people used to call me a technical auditor. And I used to be like, what does that mean? Like we're evaluating technical environments. Um, what's the alternative to this? Uh, what else should I be um, at this point? And they only said that because I knew a little bit about the cloud. And I'm like, well, I decided to go learn AWS because 80% of our customers are hosted on AWS. So I figured I should know the words that they're saying. Um, they say EC2, I should know what that means. And that's what it was all about. So I would say like, yes, really kind of, I think what you're getting at as well is like, not to convince people or trick people into thinking like you can just jump into GRC and be good without learning anything technical. The best compliance professionals do exactly what you said. They understand technology and then they tie it back to the business. And what I would say is like you actually are at an advantage if you are one of the rare compliance people that actually care about learning about technology and understanding technology because you will now speak the language of the people that you're talking to. Yeah, and I think that's a, that's a big piece it's helped me be successful is because my entire career, except for the last year, has been on the implementation and engineering side. It helped me start this role and immediately build rapport with the uh, the technology teams. Right, I, I, I didn't. My knowledge wasn't based on certifications and uh, spreadsheets. Right, there's a place for that, and it's valuable. But I had a little bit more rapport. I was able to build those bridges more quickly. Um, without having to come up to speed on the technology before I could do that. Yeah, I think I think that's huge. I think on the flip side, I tell uh, investors that the thing that I'm really grateful for um, that's helping me now as a startup founder is that I, I started my career in the Army as an Army officer, which forced me to learn about leadership very quickly. <laughs> um, and I had to figure out how to lead and what my leadership style was as a young you know, 23-year-old when I was responsible for like 18 soldiers in a deployed environment. And, and I'm grateful that I started there and learned about how to lead people very early on because it's helping me out in, in what I do for a living. So that that's a that's a very good point. One of the things you said earlier was about knowing the business. And I think that's just such an overlooked aspect of cyber where most people try to put cyber as an aspect of their business. And, and, and unfortunately, most companies are not in the business of cybersecurity. They are in the business of something else. They are trying to do something else to grow. And cyber is not the thing that they are going to get excited about. But if you understand what the business is doing and how they make money and how you fit cyber into that, you become a more powerful person and part of the team. Talk to me a little bit about what you mean there when you talk about knowing the business and it's important in cybersecurity. Yep. And I think, you know, that, that's a pretty dynamic question based on the company and the industry you work for, for sure. But I think you can probably sum it up in the, the idiom of don't miss the forest for the trees. Um, I think it's easy for engineers and auditors and risk folks to, you know, be focused on, but this is what the standard says. Well, the reality is risk management isn't only about reducing risk to quote Phil Venables. There are other aspects to risk management, right? And so it's really important to understand that there are risks that aren't even related to cyber. There's technology risks, right? There's information risks, there's privacy risks, there is there are resiliency risks, there's other business risks, financial risks. And the business cares about all of those. Cyber is just a piece of that. And if we forget about that, then and we're only looking at, at one scope then we may be elevating something much higher than it should be in the grand scheme of things. And so 
that understanding of the business, of the operations, of the broader picture really helps us provide more value because we can provide a more relative risk management approach as opposed to an absolute just within my little bubble. Man, that's that is huge right there. A uh, risk is just such this thing that I think people just check the box on and it, it causes issues down the line because you find out that there's actually a threat your organization's facing that you didn't even consider because you were just going, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, yes, mm-hmm. no, down this risk register. Mm-hmm. Instead of actually talking to people and understanding, you know, the why behind the business, the why behind the risk and, and focusing on people processes and technology. It's one of the reasons why I love the NIST cybersecurity framework, because it does a really good job of making companies at the early stages think about all of those different aspects of risk where it's not just about your technical environment your cloud environment like there are you need to go talk to finance you need to go talk to legal you need to go talk to all these other people in the organization that have risk that will impact you from a cyber perspective and could have bad things from a cyber perspective but you may be just too locked in on the cyber stuff. And I think part of the, um, I was on a webinar recently and with my director of compliance at ByteCheck, and she said something that was so kind of like profound where she was like, we have to remember that GRC is a three letter word. There's governance, there's risk, and there's compliance and that they're, they're all different things. And I think oftentimes, you know, I'm guilty of it. I, I lump them all together uh, mm-hmm. and say like, oh, it's just GRC. But like, as you were talking about risk, I was like, man, like, that's so true. Like, Risk is such an important aspect in understanding truly what are the risks facing the business. You you have to start there. You start there and then from there you can go out and, and do all the cyber things. But if you're just trying to throw cyber at a company without considering the risk, you're going to fail. And a good way to think about GRC as well is the each letter kind of represents a phase of risk management, right? Governance is how does it work? Understanding what's supposed to happen. Risk is what happens if it doesn't work the way I expect it to. And compliance is how do I know if it's not working? And those are really the, the three questions that we should be asking. And that, that applies across any department or program, not just cyber. Exactly. 100%. And, you know, I want to get back to a little bit as we started, we were talking about leadership and talking about the importance of empathy. And, and I remember, I can't remember when, but I recently talked about People ask me, like, they're becoming a new leader. and They're like, what's the most important quality I got to have? You know, is it consistency? Is it showing up early? Or is it is it I got to be the hardest worker? Or I got to be the smartest or all those other things. And I'm like, the most important thing as a leader is empathy, in my opinion, is being able to serve and be an empathetic leader. I know you have similar thoughts. I'd love to just get your thoughts on the importance of empathy in leadership and, and how you have seen it benefit you as a leader as well. To be perfectly honest, I think that empathy is maybe the utmost requirement for a an effective leader. To be effective, a leader has to have respect. They have to have people willing to follow them. You know, trust is something that, you know, you can take trust, you can buy trust, and you can earn trust. The only way that it's sustainable is if it's earned. And empathy is really essential to that. There, you know, there's plenty of, of books and quotes that, that you can talk about, but, but the reality is if people you're leading, and, and I want to delineate between managing and leading, right? Because many people can be a manager. You can be a leader without actually having people report to you. Any way that, or in, anywhere that you lead, people have got to know that you're a safe place. You know, slightly different than empathy, but it all goes hand in hand. Like, You've got to be approachable. 
you've got to be able to listen and you've got to understand what they're going through. Like you can't just expect, uh, we, we can't expect people to leave their lives at the door to come to work. Like they're all intertwined. And if one's out of sync, the other's going to be out of sync. And I've got to care as much about people's lives and well-being as I do the effectiveness of their work, or I'm never going to get what is what is needed from the team. Yep, 100%. And I, I, in the Army, I learned that a leader's job is to provide purpose, direction, and motivation. And I feel like it's very, very difficult for you to do that if you don't know your people, if you don't understand who they are, what their beliefs are, because not everybody's motivated by the same thing. Not everybody cares about the same purpose. Not everybody has all these same things. And a lot of time, uh, the leadership books you read tell you to be, you got to be this type of leader. You got to do this. And like leadership is like security, in my opinion. It requires context. It requires you having the the um, understanding, the discernment to know what leadership style is needed at certain times, what certain people, the type of leaders that you have to be towards them. Um, and it, that all comes back to empathy, right? It all comes back to that. One of the things you mentioned in there that I, I'd love to get your opinion on, and you kind of talked about work-life balance a little bit. And I'm a believer that there shouldn't be any such thing as work-life balance. Um, and the reason I say that is because if you kind of think about what we're saying there. We have work in one bucket. Um, and then we think about our life. Our life is who we are as an individual. Maybe we're married. We got a partner that we're with. So we have to have a relationship. We have to eat. That's another aspect of life. You know, if you're trying to be healthy, if you're trying to work out, you got bills. There's so many, you got your health um, on all of the much love. There's life is like 10 different things that you might be a dad, whatever it may be. And then work is this one thing. And we say, we got to balance 10 things with one thing. And I think that's where the conflict comes because that's an uneven thing to balance against. And to your point, people are so much more than what they do for a living. But I'd love to get your thoughts on work-life balance and and kind of what does that mean? You know, when people think about work-life balance, especially in cyber, what does that mean? Yep. So I want to respond to one thing you mentioned before that, and then I'll answer that question. So kind of to use a a military analogy. So I I don't have a military background, but I I have family that was in the military. So I am a little connected. One thing that I think is important that the military clearly shows us is that leadership is a role, not a position, because depending on the situation, there may be different people in the leadership role. Right. And I think that's a big thing for leaders to understand is that to be a leader, sometimes it means not leading and empowering other people. And so I thought that was a big piece to, to say. And that goes back to understanding those people and what their strengths are. And letting like lifting people up at the right times. So to switch back to the work-life balance concept. So I think one thing I'd like to focus on is, you know, your perspective is going to be different than mine because you're leading a company and you have a lot more control to affect that than I do in a large corporation and most other people do in in the places they work. Um, And so the way I look at it is it's extremely important to me to understand a couple of things about the people that work for me. The first is I don't think people should set an expectation for themselves that they have to know everything about every person and be able to recall it. I have to, I keep a, a note in my, in, in one note with people and their kids' names and birthdays, because I'm never going to remember that, but I want to know it. And so I've got to keep track of information like that about people so that I can keep up with, there's just too much to remember. So I think that's a practical way that we can like start to show empathy if that's something like we're learning with people. I think another way is being cognizant of 
relevant events, you know, not to derail the conversation into the news that came out today from the Supreme Court, but just letting people know that, hey, look, this is a big deal. I can't solve this and I can't fix everything, but I'm here for you. If you need a place uh, for somebody to listen, if you need time, like this is a life altering situation. And as leaders, we need to understand that, that it's going to impact people differently. And then the other piece is that just like uh, for those of us that have kids, I know you have a couple of kids. We don't parent kids the same way, just like we can't lead people the same way. Some people need to be led in different ways. And as people leaders, it's important to understand that for people. So I think that knowing those things lets us help empower our teams to feel safe about that balance. I think that's important. There's a lot of places where there's a fear of, I've got to keep life separate, but the reality is you can't. I think the other piece that's really important for me, for other leaders is I spend a lot of time and effort as a manager and a leader, but this is kind of like the manager role of understanding capacity and prioritization and work management of my teams, implementing tools and processes for that so that I can have transparency, not in the sense of micromanagement, but in the sense of when I've got people working too many hours because they don't have the right prioritization or they're not empowered to properly manage their work, or I can see where people are blocked so that I can free them. I think that's one of the biggest components or pieces of a, of a manager to help improve that work-life balance. Because if we're not doing that, then people are constantly thinking about what they didn't do at work, or they're spending all of their life hours trying to finish it when they shouldn't be. Man, so many gems there and things I want to uh, follow up on. Uh, there, you had some quotable moments in there that we'll have to make sure we we pull out. But uh, I want to talk a little bit about that last piece because I think that's so important where we talk so much about burnout in this industry and how much people burn out all the time. And we always talk about what do employees need to do to prevent burnout? What are the things that you have to do as a person? But you're taking the approach that I think is a, a revolutionary approach of it's your responsibility to, to check on those things, to see what's going on. Like, what is that? Why is your workload so high? And, and how can we help you? Talk to me about that. Just like, do you think it's on the leaders to also to have that visibility into their employees to help manage burnout? Like, where does that responsibility, we think about like cloud shared responsibility model. Yep. Let's think about cyber shared responsibility model. Um, who's responsible for what there? So I think it's it's twofold. There are components of it that we can't control. And that's based on the broader culture of the place we work. Um, that broader culture dictates certain expectations, certain requirements, certain deliverables. But for them, I would say somewhere in like 80-20 balance that that's 20% of the problem. I think somewhere more in the 80% range is my responsibility. Um, I've, I've even told, said that specifically this week to a number of people in a couple of different contexts that, if, if you're working like into the night, that's my fault. I need to understand why I'm not removing a blocker for you or I'm not prioritizing something or I haven't set clear expectations or I'm not backing you up when you have a problem to get that moved. Like there's a lot of times, and, and as a side note, because of cybersecurity, let's take incident management off the table there. There are aspects of incident management that are completely outside of the scope of this conversation. but for most work, especially in the GRC space, like there's not many things that can't wait a business day. 
And so I think a big aspect of my job is setting expectations and empowering people to know that, hey, one, we're not going to be a culture of no, right? Customer service is one of my, my top priorities. Quality is my second priority. But we're going to be a, a culture of yes, but. And that yes, but is I can absolutely get to that. It's right now it's going to take me two weeks to get to it or, or whatever that may be. And let's just say that that my boss or the powers that be say, no, I need it right now. Then my job as a people manager is to say, okay, we can do that. But if I do that, what do you want to drop, A or B? We can't do it all. You got to pick one. And that's the conversation that is empowering to people because it's like, I'm not expecting you to do everything. We can't, right? We've got to pick those things that we can within our capacity. Yeah, that's funny you say that. I was just talking with someone recently and I was like, and I was telling them that like as a leader, our responsibility sometimes is to give our teams the ability and give them such clear direction of like what that North Star is that we're going, that they feel comfortable not taking on certain things, Mm -hmm. uh, that they feel comfortable pushing back and saying, like you said, yes, but that's a great idea. But this is what we're working on today. Like, this is where we're focused. This is where we're headed. And I have to stay there. And that's not on that employee. That's on the organization. That's on the leadership. That's on everybody else to make sure that we've set up this environment of, of, you know, like we talk about in security and CICD is you want to put these guardrails. You want to allow the engineers to move as fast as possible, deploying and releasing changes as much as you can, you know, true startup fashion. But you want them to do it securely. Uh, You want them to do it in a secure manner. It's the same way with people in their lives is you want them to be able to achieve all of the things because it does feel good for people to accomplish stuff. It feels good for them to be able to get stuff done and you want them to be able to do that, but you want them to do it in a manner that is safe for them just as a human. So um, no, I love that, man. I love the examples that you shared there on that. And one of the things I would love to get your thoughts on when when we're thinking about leadership, we're thinking about empathy, we're operating in somewhat of a a new world that has occurred over the last two and a half, three years. And now we're starting to see this battle uh, where companies had to go fully remote very quickly figure out how to operate in a remote environment. And then now as we're, we're kind of coming out of this thing or, or maybe not, um, who knows, people are being forced to go back to the offices. They're being sent back to the offices. And, and some leaders are like, you cannot be a good leader unless you're in the office. Or you cannot be, uh, be effective unless you're in the office. Other people are like, uh, and I'm in this bucket with bite check that it doesn't matter. I don't, I don't really care where people work. I don't care the hours they work or where they live or any of that. I think remote work is amazing because it allows you to do so much more. I'd love to get your thoughts both on just remote work and versus return to the office. And um, where does that kind of where do you sit there in that in that debate? But also like from a leadership perspective for people that are managing remote teams, how you know, what's the way that they be effective leaders and do all the things we've talked about? Yeah, that's a that's a great topic. And I don't think it's going away anytime soon. I think uh, American culture, as I've seen, loves dichotomies. And I think the problem is most things are not dichotomies. And in this case, I think this is one of those. There's not a, we should be remote or we should not. Like there's situations where it makes sense and is absolutely effective. And there's situations where it may not. My previous job at a global bank, I drove to an office every day and and worked in an office, but I interacted with Spain and Mexico and, and Central and South America on a regular basis. So I was effectively working remotely in an office, right? And so I think that it's challenging when a lot of organizations set the, a, a, a dichotomy at the top where it's, it's, it's either we're not or we are. There's not a whole lot you can do with that. 
I think that it depends on the teams, and I think that it depends on the on, on the leaders. So there, there's a couple of aspects that that I think we need to to define as as a technology industry. There's a difference between remote work and remote collaboration. A lot of companies have remote work down. You know, you've got Teams or Zoom or or whatever it may be. I can join a virtual call, right? But remote collaboration is completely different. People who I would say accidentally collaborated in the office. In other words, they, they kind of collaborated because other people brought them into it. People happened to like walk up next to their chair. And so they jumped into the conversation. Managers and leaders of teams that were naturally collaborative didn't understand what it takes to create that environment from nothing. And so I think that the requirement on people leaders in a remote environment is creating remote collaboration. Um, and so what that means is, uh, you know, you've got to have a camera on. We're just chatting all day. You don't get a human interaction. There's so much more context to communication than what is the words that are said. And understanding people's facial expressions and body language and the tone of their voice is essential. But even still, if you let's say you are of audio and no video, just tone of voice still can't convey it because I can be firm, but my face can say that I'm not angry. And that's hard to distinguish if you're only listening to audio. So I think that's a big piece. Um, a couple of other things that, that I've put in place is I try to, um, I'll just, I try to force chat, just like we would have water cooler chats and like turn to somebody in the chair and, and chat with them. I try to force those. And so I found that the more that we can chat and um, communicate that way, the more connected our teams become and the more we end up collaborating. Yeah, 100%. That's uh, funny you say that. Uh, we, Bite Check, we have this channel called the Question of the Day channel, and we just asked a random question. It could be like, who's the most inspi- inspiring person in your life? Or what do you like, Chick-fil-A or Raising Cane's? Like, it, it's just always... <laughs> It's a wild place and sometimes the most off the wall questions like get the most off the wall answers and you learn something about people that you never knew. But the whole point of that channel is to encourage the random conversations that happen when you work in an office. And that's the thing that I think remote cultures don't get right is people don't always want to talk about work. And like in a real world, in the real office, they don't. They do not talk about work. They talk about the game. They talk about something that happened in the news. They talk about other things. But when you live in these environments where the only channels you exist in, the only chats you exist in are work chats, and you're never actually talking about stuff that involves your life, you start to separate the two and you have the work persona and then the outside persona. And chances are your outside of work persona is who you really want to be. And who's the person that you feel comfortable? So if you have to put that person away eight hours a day, 40 hours a week, that's tough. Like that's going to put some anxiety and stress on you. That is uh, challenging. Well, and and you know, I think something you just hit on there is an intangible component of empathy. And as leaders, especially new leaders, there's, there's, I'll go on a tangent in a second, but there, it's easy to forget, you know, there's a concept called the, the burden of knowledge is forget what it was like on the other side of, of the table. And if you're not a human to other people, then it stem, it, it creates like a, a more authoritarian environment, right? People look at you as like the, the great and powerful Oz behind the curtain. You're unapproachable and things like that. And so it's really important to be human with people. That, and that means uh, admitting when you're wrong, being transparent when you don't know things, things like that, but being human 
goes a long way to creating a safe environment and letting your team know that you are empathetic. I think that's such an important part of leadership that people forget is that it's not just about what you say and what your policies are. It's about how, how are you acting? Are you the type of person that's working on PTO? Because guess what your team's going to do? They're going to work on PTO. Are you sending emails out at 10, 11 p.m. at night that you're telling your team you want them to work at 10, 11 p.m. at night? And nowadays, all of these tools have the ability for you to schedule messages and send them out later on. Like if you're a leader working at 10 o'clock at night, don't send that email then. Send it and let it go off in the morning so that your team doesn't feel the pressure uh, that they have to work that much. We get it if you're in leadership position. You have to work late sometimes. It's a part of it. But you don't have to pull in every single individual contributor on your team and now make them think that that's the standard because that's what you're doing as a leader is you are setting and establishing a standard. And if you are the standard is, is I'm going to separate my personal life from my work life, everyone else is going to do that. And they're going to just end up, you're going to build the culture that you probably don't want. And I think leaders have to remember that it's not just about what you say. It's about how are you operating as a leader? What are the things you're doing? How do you look Um, when you join the team call is your camera on? Because if it's not, other people are going to say, I don't have to turn my camera on. You know, that's the type of culture um, that you're going to be creating. So I think it's so important that you talked about that aspect of leadership of really living out the things that you want your team to live out. Yeah. So, so I'm glad you said that because I put together a one pager about myself. I call it working with Andrew and I have like little tidbits about like what is things that I expect. And one of those things is eating your own dog food. Um, and so I, I think that's is exactly what you're saying. Like I shouldn't expect from others something I'm not willing to do. And so even if, if I'm telling my teams, I need you to put that work in JIRA, like I should be putting that work in JIRA if I need you to do it. And so that's something that I practice pretty well, or I'm, I'm pretty passionate about making sure that, that we do. There's another aspect that I think, especially for, for new leaders, that's important. Um, I actually call it the, the CEO comment fallacy is, is what I've kind of dubbed it. But not when you don't have the self-awareness to say, maybe I'm thinking out loud. Maybe I'm just like, like talking about something. If I'm not constantly reiterating, this is what I expect people will take that and run with it. And before you know it, you've created, you've filled up everybody's capacity with some ideas you had that you never intended to be implemented. And so I think it's important as a leader to constantly remind people because they're, they're, they're not going to believe it. Hey, I'm just thinking out loud. Don't go do this. Like, let's talk about it and things like that. Because otherwise they're going to be running in 20 different directions. I'm laughing because that's so true that I now, typical CEO, founder, I randomly get these like jolts of ideas and I'm just like, and I just like go into a channel and I'm just like saying all the things. And then I have to stop. I'm like, hey, like as a heads up for everyone, nothing I just said is a me asking you to go do something. Nothing I just said means to change priorities. Like, please take all direction from your people leader. Do not take this as because I realized I didn't know this until, you know, being a CEO that if I go and say like, hey, it would be nice if we did X or I send a screenshot of something I saw and like, this is cool. I wish we did this. Somebody's going to go do that and they're going to just take off and go run and do that. And it's like, I wasn't saying that. That's not what I was. That was not my intent. So that's so true. And I think important for all leaders, not, you know, not just CEOs and everyone to think about the way you're communicating, what message are you getting across? And and sometimes you have to do those disclaimers to make sure that people are not taking stuff like that. But yeah, this, I mean, Andrew, this has been amazing, man. Like it's been a really dope conversation just about leadership, about cybersecurity and compliance. 
um, and getting to know you more. I know this is going to be extremely valuable to our listeners. Before we hop off, any last words? And then at the end of that, you know, tell folks where to find you if they want to reach out and learn more. Yeah, I would say last words, like don't feel like there's this enormous set of criteria that is required to become a leader. Like you don't have to manage people to be a leader. You don't have to be an expert to be a leader. Honestly, if you're empathetic, you're going to become a leader on, on accident. And I think that that's, that's truly important. But I think that, yeah, just treat people like people, be human, and people will, will follow you and listen to you. As far as like getting in contact with me, I'm mostly on LinkedIn. I actually don't even have a, a Facebook or, or Instagram account that I, that, I, that I use. I do have Twitter, but I don't ever check it. So LinkedIn is where I'm, I'm most active. I'm always happy to, to you know, chat about these kind of things. 100%. And yeah, give Andrew a follow or, or connection on LinkedIn. Um, you're going to learn a lot. And um, this episode right here is just going to be, I think, super impactful. So thank you again, Andrew, for joining me, spending some time with me. And I'm glad we we finally got this done and on the books. I'm excited for it to get out. And, and thank you all for listening to another episode of the To Comply or Not To Comply podcast. Don't forget to give us a rating. Uh, If you liked the episode, give us a five-star rating. If you didn't like the episode, give us a five-star rating. Uh, Just go ahead and click that for us. Um, Appreciate it. And we'll see you on the next episode.